Romans 15, starting from verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. We've been doing that this morning. And again it said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. We've been doing that this morning together. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And isn't that our prayer for our community? And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. That's God's word. Why don't you take a seat? Let's pray. Father, you have met us already in the songs that we've sung together as we've reflected on who you are and what you've done and our response to that. And you've met us in the table as we've gathered together, as we've drawn together, remembering what you accomplished at the cross so that we might know life. And as you speak to us now through your word, Lord, transform our hearts. Give us ears to hear what you're saying for your sake, for your glory, so that all of us might say amen together, that all of this community might learn to sing your praises, the one who we have hope in. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's nice to be back. I had a few weeks away, a bit of a break, and I was saying to Kath as we were getting ready to come home, you know... Do you know those holidays that you have where you get home and you think, I really need a holiday to get over my holiday? We did not have one of those holidays, thank the Lord. We, we actually came home feeling like we actually had a break, feeling rested, and it's nice to be back. I, I really um, love holidays. I love spending time with family up in Queensland, but in all honesty, I was ready to come home, ready to face the year ahead and feeling excited for what the Lord might do uh, in us and through us here in Raymond Terrace. Um, But all of a sudden, right, we're knocking on the door of February. Like I was just having Christmas and eating too much. And then we saw the new year in, or some people did, I didn't, I just went to bed. Um, I was playing board games with my brother-in-law and sister and a um, few family members together and um, going for walks and it was holidays and I wasn't thinking about other things that I normally think about. And then I get home and you blink and it's, it's not only the new year anymore, we, we've sort of passed that, we're launching now into the, uh, just the routine of the year, right? January's just about over, school's about to go back, things are ramping back up again. And got me thinking about all the Januaries that I can remember. Um, 2020, here we are in the year 2020. And not only the beginning of a new year, but the beginning of a 
well, it depends. There are people arguing about this online, but is it the beginning of a new decade or not? Or It's like, I don't care. It's 2020, that looks a bit different. But we're at the beginning of sort of an era of change, probably. A new part of life, a new part of the calendar. So I started thinking about all the, the Januaries that I could think of that were at the beginning of a new decade. And I can think back quite a, quite a few of those. So... So here's what I was doing in January of 1990. I was 13 years old, and I was standing on one of the highland peaks of Honiara, which is one of the main islands in the Solomons. And I was on a mission trip. Um, I, I was standing there, and I was 13, and I had grand visions of doing great things for God with my life. You know, I remember standing up on these highlands with the, the cloud rolling in through the valleys and being excited about what we were doing and what we were seeing there and dreaming and thinking about all the grand things that I was going to do for God, great things. In my 13-year-old mind, I was going to leave a mark and I was going to achieve something and maybe I was going to have books written about my exploits for God. You see, I was in my spare time. We had one hour of free time a day. And that one hour of free time a day, we were often given a book to read. And the only books that we were allowed to read were missionary biographies. And so I'd been reading stories about these missionaries from the past and thinking, that's what I want to do. I want to do something just like that. That was January of the year 1990. In the January of the year 2000, I was 23 years old and I was standing overlooking the Bay of Suva in Fiji. I was six months into marriage. I was on another mission trip. Except this time, rather than just being a team member, I was a team leader. My, my visions of grandeur were coming into, uh, into being. My heart at 23 years old, was filled with ambitions of not only doing things for God, but being someone great for God. I wanted to be someone important for God. I was gifted, so I thought. I was admired, so I thought. And, and I was confident. I was confident that within the next decade, I was going to become a shooting star in God's army. I was 23 years old. In January of the year 2010, I was 33 years old and I was living in Raymond Terrace. See, my ambitions were on the way up. All right? Honiara Highland Peaks of the Solomons overlooking the Bay of Suva in Fiji. Living the dream, Raymond Terrace. I was a father of four by now. And at least, in my thinking, I was a complete failure. In January of 2010, I was in the depth of depression, in the depth of isolation that I had put myself in, that I think if it had been let unchecked, it would have led to a, a disastrous 
and desperate end. All my resolve had crumbled. All my ambition had been swept away. All my gifting seemed hollow and vain. And all the effort that I had put in just felt like it had produced thorns and thistles and nothing else. And now, here I am in January of 2020, and I'm 43 years old, at least for another month or two. And, and by the grace of God, I'm just here. I'm standing in front of you, and I'm standing here with an open Bible. And my only resolve is just to finish the race well. I mean, if I can get to the end and hear my Saviour say, just, well done good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. I'll be happy. I've read about the, the great Morovian reformer, Zwingli, and he stated that his life's goal was to preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. And I can add my amen to that one. Yep, happily, happily do that. So after four decades of searching for hope, searching for peace, searching for meaning... If I can boil it down by saying that I think I've discovered that in the grace of God, which is in Christ, shown to a wretched sinner like me, that's where it's found. Here are a few other lessons that I've learned along the way. There are three of them. One, New Year's resolutions are stupid. (laughs) My resolve and your resolve is as feeble as it is fickle. Number two, life is complex and it's messy. So if I'm going to err in my relationships with other people, then I want to make a mistake on the side of grace towards them. Number three, Jesus is always enough. Always. A living hope in Christ is greater than all my dreams of doing great things for God or being someone great for God. If I can just find my hope in Christ, that's enough. You know, I spent the last holidays, most of the holidays, living in hypervigilance for spoilers. Do you know what a spoiler is? Um, you see, before I went away on holidays, the last installment of the Star Wars movie came out. Most of you don't care. Some of you don't care. Some of you got very excited about that. I'd, I'd grown up watching Star Wars movies, and I really wanted to see the last one. I was a bit disappointed in a few of the installments over the years, but I really wanted to just see out the story, and I, I thought I'd love to go. It came out before I went away on holidays. It came out in December. I didn't get to go. My son went to go. He, he got to see it. Even Kath, who doesn't even like Star Wars, she got to see it. And so I was walking around just going, no one tell me any information about the story which is going to spoil the end of it for me. Now, maybe you don't care about Star Wars, but, but you might care about a book that you're reading and someone walks past you and says, oh, I've read that book. And you go, oh, great. And you go, isn't it sad that Jane died at the end? <laughs> That's a spoiler, all right? That person is a spoiler. <laughs> the information they gave you spoiled the book for you, spoiled the story for you. I'm going to talk about four ways this morning that you can try to find hope in 2020. That's what this message is about. 
four ways that you can find hope, or at least try to find hope, in the year 2020. But I'm going to lead with a spoiler alert for you. The first three that I'm going to give you are absolute garbage and will not work. All right, there's the spoiler alert, fair warning. I'm going to talk about four ways that you can try to find hope this year, and the first three are garbage and will not work. Yet, knowing this, you and I more than likely will try all three of them at some stage. All right? So here they are. Four ways that you can try to find hope in the year 2020. Here's number one. If you're a writing down person, write these down. Because I said they're garbage, still write them down, but at the end of it, cross them out and write, that's garbage. Okay? (laughs) Four ways that you can try to find hope in 2020. Number one, be a better Christian. Now, you're probably thinking, oh, hang on, Chris. That should be the last one that works, right? Stick with me. Number one, be a better Christian. You're going to be tempted to reflect on the year that's just gone, or maybe even the decade that's gone, or the the four decades like I just did, and you're going to resolve in your mind to be a better Christian this year. Now, when most people say something like that, What they mean is, I'm going to read my Bible more this year, or I'm going to pray more, I'm going to be more patient, I'm going to try and give up some of my bad habits this year, I'm going to give more this year, I'm going to go to church more this year, I'm going to join a core group this year. Or if I am already in a core group, I'm going to try and go more than two times a term this year. And so, you start a new Bible reading plan in January, thinking that this will be the year. Or you buy a prayer journal. You know the ones that you can color in, make them look pretty? Or you start jogging or... You download a fitness app to your phone. That works by osmosis. Look at all the fitness apps I've got on my phone. While you're there, you probably download some accountability software for your computer so that you aren't as tempted to look at inappropriate websites. But here's the problem. You think that if you can do all these things that you will find hope and peace in the year 2020. But you're wrong. And you're wrong on two accounts. First, you won't be able to do those things. You will fail, just like you did last year. And second, even if you could follow through on your resolve, hope... And peace doesn't live at the end of that rainbow. Pride does. So when you say, I'm going to be a better Christian this year, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm going to muster up all of my strength. I'm going to muster up my resources and I'm going to do better. And I'm telling you, that's not a way that you can find hope and peace this year. Number two, second garbage way that we'll probably try anyway. Do amazing things for God this year. Do amazing things for God this year. This is the year you're going to step out for God or catch on fire for God 
or maybe even create a legacy for God, this is the year you're going to break the mold, leave behind the past, make a name for yourself, I mean, a name for God. You're going to be tempted to think that if you could just be more like those heroes of of the faith that you've read about or heard about or saw a documentary about, men and women of Christian renown, both from the past or from the present that you, you really look up to, if you could launch a great ministry or write a book or, or serve and lead in a way that transforms countless lives, that you will finally find hope and peace that you've been searching for. But you won't. I mean, you might do some of those things. Maybe you will accomplish some of your goals and dreams to do something great, but you won't find peace and nor will you find hope in them. That's the second thing. Here's the third way that you might be tempted to try to find hope in the year 2020. Turn inward and discover authenticity. Maybe you're a little worn out. and Maybe you're a little jaded. Maybe you've been there and tried all that stuff before. Well, you're going to be tempted this year to try and find hope and peace by turning inwards, focusing your thought life inward, withdrawing from life around you, saying yes to yourself more often, and practicing some self-care this year. And yet it isn't it incredibly interesting that in a world which is absolutely fascinated with self-care, with authenticity... That anxiety and depression and relational breakdown and social disconnect are rampantly out of control in our society. So as good as authenticity is, as good as self-care is, maybe they aren't really the answer. So we're going to hit number four now. Let me make a quick concession before we're going to go any further. Do I think that reading your Bible more this year is a good idea. Yes. All right? Do I think that praying more or attending a core group or coming to church or giving or serving or stepping out in faith, any of those things, do I think they're good things? Yes. yes of course I do. Absolutely. All of those things are healthy. All of those things are beneficial and they're worthy goals to have. But what I'm saying this morning is while ever your pursuit of hope and peace is focused on your ability to achieve more, do better, and succeed where you've once failed, you are destined for disappointment. It will not work. Because hope and peace were never designed to be found in you. Hope and peace were only ever and are only ever available in Christ. So the question remains then, if they're the ways that we will try to find hope and peace but fail, where do I find hope and peace? How do I gain that? How do I face the year ahead and the decade ahead thinking, how do I gain a sense of hope, a sense of peace? The answer is, 
Well, it's in the passage that we started reading from Romans 15. So I want you to turn your attention back to that again. So far, no Bible. All my ideas. Did you notice it's all garbage so far? Garbage ideas. You will not, you will not, a, you, you will not embrace hope and peace if you just follow what I've said so far. Let's turn to what God says about it. Discover our fourth and really only option to find hope. Now, I didn't read this verse out, but it's the one that we stopped at in verse 12. So let me now read to you verse 13. This is the verse that I particularly want you to focus your attention on. Romans 15, verse 13 says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Hope is something, I hope at the very least that you noticed in that verse. So let's just make some observations about the way this verse works, what God is actually saying. First thing to notice is at the beginning of the verse, may the God of hope. Do you realize that? We have a God of hope. That's our God. Now, I'm not sure what your default version of God is that you think about when you reflect on who he is. We all have one. Yeah, it's our default, our default image. It's the way that we would most naturally think about God in our resting state. <laughs> I'm not sure what yours is. And there's a lot of different ones that we could choose, right? God is uh, represented all the way through scriptures in, in a variety of ways. There's the God of love. We love that one. Um, there is God of righteousness. We have a holy God, right? There are ones that we sort of skip over sometimes. There's a God of wrath, the wrathful God, a jealous God. These are all images of God or some aspect of him. And, and sometimes we tend to choose one over all of those things, and that's our default view of God. Well, this morning, what Paul's trying to do and what I want to do is try and pull your default vision of God for a moment and highlight an aspect of God that maybe we haven't considered a great deal. When Paul writes to the church in Rome and therefore to us also, he says, may the God of hope, we have a God of hope. Do you realize that? Paul wants to highlight that God is in essence a God of hope. That's who he is and how he acts towards people. The grace of God in Christ is a story of hope. It's good news, right? That's why it's called the gospel. It's good news. And why is it good news? Well, it's good news because there is hope for sinners and screw-ups like me. It's good news because there is, there is life offered when only death reigns. It's good news because where the fall and the curse of sin is rampant in this world, and we see the evidence of it every day, there is the offer of new life and hope and creation in Christ, a hope of eternity. It's good news, and it's a good news of hope. It's a hope that should make us want to celebrate, right? It's, it's one that should make us sing and sing loud, even if it's out of tune. Don't care. I've got hope. Let's sing. Yeah. 
If God's given you some rhythm in your body that when you listen to music, it makes you start to move and tap your feet, doesn't happen to me, but if that's you, then, then this is the sort of message that should make you want to dance, right? Yes. Dance like David did. <laughs> no. No, no, no. We, we're not that type of community, all right? Now, dance, that's for sure, but leave your clothes on. Don't act crazy. Hope does that. Have you ever been in a situation where you thought that you had lost all hope in a particular situation, particular circumstances that you were facing, and you think there's no way out of this, there's no good news from this, and then all of a sudden a phone call comes, or a conversation happens, or a circumstance occurs, and it changes everything. And that moment where all the heaviness of that situation dissolves in an instant, and you feel light, you feel excited, you can't stop the smile from coming to your face. Why? Because hope returned, right? Paul directs our attention to a God and he says, we have a God of hope, a God of hope. So as we embrace 2020 and what happens in front of us, the decade ahead, all of us thinking, I'm not sure what's going to happen in the next 10 years. Man, I don't even know what's going to happen in the year ahead. Boy, I don't even know what's going to happen by the time we hit February. But I want you to know this morning that there is a God of hope, one that we can cling to and hold to. He brings hope. I don't want to downplay the hardness, the, the difficulty of your circumstances necessarily, the, the secret pain that you carry, the burden that you hold on to. But I want you to hear this morning that despite all of that, we have a God of hope. One, one that does doesn't just make us sort of take a deep breath and think, well, I hope for the best. Not that type of hope. You ever said that? Well, just hope for the best. It's sort of like this resolve to just basically, well, you know, just hope for the best. That, that's not the sort of hope that Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about a living hope, a dynamic hope, a, a breathing hope. Because it flows from the hope of God. And so he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. So I want you to see that you don't gain hope because you've grasped onto it. You're given hope. You're given hope. That's what he just said. May the God of hope fill you. So often we try to fill ourselves with hope. You know, if I can just sort of control this circumstance, if I can just sort this out, if I can just pray harder, if I can just work harder, if I can just believe more, if I can just muster up enough faith, then, then I'll have hope. No, Paul says it's the God of hope who fills you with hope. Yeah. You, you don't do it. <coughs> so I don't want you to give up on your aspirations for this year. And, and when I said at the beginning that resolutions are stupid... Well, they are. But really, if you've got a resolution this year, I don't want you to give it up. I'd love for you to try and obtain what you want to set out. Maybe it's drop 5, 10, 15 kilos or something. Maybe it's be around your family a bit more. Maybe it's try and do some more fun things with your kids. Maybe it's, you know, I really want to be a better husband. I want to love my wife more like Jesus loved. Maybe it's, 
something to do with your career or something. I don't know what it is. I don't want you to necessarily give those things up, but I do want you to stop striving for hope through them. I want you to abound in hope for the year 2020. I want us to be a church which is filled with hope for 2020. I want you to have visions and dreams for what God may do through you and in us. I want you to try and imagine what what would it look like if we were a church who were just captured by the grace of God and on fire for what he's doing in this community. Imagine what that would look like. Let's push towards that. I want you to have those sorts of dreams. I want you to be so filled with the joy and peace that flow from the God of hope. I want rivers of life which come from hope to flow out of this place and people in our community just go, I don't know what's going on up in that church, but I want some of that. But if you think that you can somehow earn this, if we think that we can muster up enough spiritual zeal to make that happen, if we think that we could just polish up our marketing, refresh our website, if we think that we can just dress better, fix our lighting, get our set, if, all of the, if we can just get all the right formula in place, it'll happen, it won't. It's not where hope comes from. It's not where peace comes from. Because we don't gain hope. We're given it. We're given it. You can't just be more hopeful. Isn't that one of the most useless bits of advice that anyone could give? You're down the mouth, you're feeling discouraged, and someone comes along and says, Brother, I've got a word for you. Great. What is it? Just be more hopeful. Thanks a lot. You can't just be more hopeful. But you can lean just a little heavier on the Spirit of God. You can't just be more hopeful, but you can absorb yourself more fully and say, God, I'm hanging off every word that you speak. Yeah. You remember when Jesus was teaching and his disciples were following? This is in the height of Jesus' popularity, sort of before the last little bit of his life where people started going, you know what, Jesus is a bit too much for me. I mean, there were people coming from all over Israel, even outside of Israel, to go and hear this teacher. There were thousands upon thousands of people flocking after Jesus, so much so that on occasion he just went, man, I just cannot handle this. Let's get in a boat. Let's go to the other side. I love Jesus. Let's get away from the crowds. Let's find some bush. Um, There was one occasion when Jesus was teaching like this, and there were thousands of people there flocking after hearing what he had to say and hoping... Maybe he'll provide lunch as well. And Jesus said to them, listen, why, why are you guys all out here? You, you, just want, you just want me to feed you again, don't you? And I can imagine lots of the people just going, no, no, I, I really like your engaging stories. But if you happen to have any bread and fish, that would be great, you know. Jesus said to them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be my disciple. And the Bible says that the crowds went, yeah, that's a little bit gross. We think that we'll go home now. 
and the crowds just started dispersing. Even some of, some of the closest of Jesus' disciples, people that were sort of with him all the way through, even some of them, it said, left. They said, this teaching's too hard. This teaching is too hard for us. And they left. Jesus sees the crowd start to disperse. He's not disappointed, by the way. He did that on purpose. And he turns around to the inner group. Think of Peter, John, James, some of these other guys. You know, they're, they're, they're there with him. And he says to them, are you going to leave too? Are you going to go? Do you remember what Peter said to him? Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, Peter, he, he at least realized this. He, he got a lot of things mixed up in his life, right? He, he was gung-ho, I'm all in, I'll never leave you, cut my sword, yank the sword out, all that sort of stuff. This is Peter, but Peter at least got this right. We won't find hope and peace anywhere else. Jesus, where would we go? You, you have the words of eternal life. That, that's what I'm asking us to align our hearts with at the beginning of 2020. You can pursue hope and peace in all sorts of places, even things which are good. But one thing that we can do is we can at least say, Lord, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We can lean into that, right? When the power of God is at work here, hope flows in abundance. We don't gain hope. We're given it. Even the end of the verse. The power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. All right? How do we abound in hope? Un- unlock the secret formula of spirituality? Start reading the ESV. All of those things can be good things, right? Even the New Living Translation. They're all good. But if it's, if it's something else apart from leaning in to say, God, your word matters, you speak and that's where life comes from, then, then we're missing the point. Because hope abounds when the Holy Spirit is at work. Look, everything in this verse is about what God will do. I want you to see the last observation before we're done is this. The gospel is the key to this. The good news is the key to this. I want you to notice there's a little phrase right in the middle of that verse. Let's read the whole verse again. I will highlight the little phrase for you. Verse 13 May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Now, that phrase alone, can you see that we're nothing to do with that? God is working. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. You say, yes, I want joy. Yes, I want peace. I want hope. So far, all we're seeing is what God is doing. Even the end of the verse. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Whose power? God's power. That's how we abound hope. So far, it's all about what God's doing. But notice the little verse, the little phrase that I skipped. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. What? In believing. 
in believing. So sandwiched right in the middle between the two bookends of what God does in this verse, there's something that he asks you to do. What is it? Belief. Belief. Believe what? Let's believe the good news. Believe the gospel. Look, the entirety of the book of Romans is sort of a living example of this structure. Paul unpacks in this book one of the most unbelievable pictures of what God has done in Christ for sinners. The gospel. That a righteous and holy God has reached out with mercy and with grace towards sinners and rebels to create a way whereby we can have peace with him and we can understand righteousness by no merit or goodness of our own, but all because of what he's done. And rooted in this glorious truth, we reach the pinnacle of it in Romans chapter 8. So you get that Romans 8 and verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? There's hope. And we have peace with God through what Christ has done for us. And then as the chapters unfold and work us closer and closer to verse or chapter 15, you get to chapter 12. How do we respond to the gospel? How should we think about how does the gospel work itself out in our life? Well, Romans 12 and 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's how the gospel works its way into our life. We lay our lives back down. And then eventually even we get to chapter 15. As we read from verse 8 onwards, did you notice how many times Paul says, for it is written, for it is written, for it is written. And he's pointing us back to the promises of God all the way through. One of those is verse 12. And he points to the prophet of Isaiah and he says, the root of Jesse will come. It's a reference in the book of Isaiah where Isaiah was pointing his people and saying, listen, there's a stump that it's been cut off. It was the tree that was Jesse, the father of Israel. But out of that stump, there's going to be a a shoot spring up, a little plant spring up. And this root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and he's speaking about Jesus. He's prophesying and saying there's one coming, the Messiah, Jesus, who will rule and reign over us all. And he says, in him will the Gentiles hope. In him will the Gentiles hope. So even here in chapter 15, this one verse sits within a larger section where Paul is pointing out the glorious reality of the gospel. And he says, I want you to believe that. I want you to believe that. He's asking us to lift our vision and see the root of Jesse, to see Jesus, our Messiah, the promised offspring who would come as a greater David, a greater king, and he would redeem God's people and rule over them. And Paul's asking us to simply believe the good news of Jesus again this year. And maybe you've walked in here this morning and you're thinking, you know what, I don't know if I've ever believed that. I've never believed that God would do that for me. And you're wondering where peace and hope is found. And I'm saying to you this morning, it's found in Jesus. 
And peace and hope comes because of what God will accomplish in your life, not what you will muster up or what you will achieve this year. And maybe you've known this for a long time. Maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe you've heard this. Maybe you've given your heart to Christ before. And yet isn't it true that all of us need to be reminded afresh time and time and time again, believe the gospel. Just believe that God loves you enough, that God reached into your heart, into your life, and he's brought you to himself through what Jesus has done. You don't have to earn his favor. You don't have to gain his attention. You don't have to work your butt off this year to try and think, gee, I hope that God will smile at me this year. God is already smiling at you. So lean into the gospel this year. Explore the wonders of the good news this year. Mind the depths of God's grace this year towards you. Center your affections on what Jesus has done for you and is doing for you. Give your heart to the realities that are wrapped up in the sacrificial death of Jesus and the victorious defeat of death as he rose again. Think through, how does the gospel find its life, its breath, not just when we come here to sing songs about it, not when we just gather around the table to recall it, but when I'm driving to work, when I'm interacting with my workmates, when I'm engaging at school, when I'm parenting my obnoxious, I mean, my good children, or what... How does the gospel center and change all of that stuff? And Paul is saying, listen, believe that. And when you do, when we're believing that, when we're centering our heart and our affections on it, when we're engaging with it, the God of hope, he said, the God of hope, he'll fill you with all joy and peace. The God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will abound in hope this year. You want to do this to abound in something? Have more than you need. Can you imagine what it would be like to have more hope than you need? You've got so much hope that you've got to give hope away. Wouldn't that be a great goal to have in 2020? Raymond Terrace Community Church, we have so much hope, we're giving it away. So, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you, we, may abound in hope. Let's pray. Father, what a glorious opportunity to be reminded afresh again. We are weak people, but we're new people. We have died in Christ, crucified with him, yet we live. And you are a God of hope. And as we face the uncertainties of the year ahead, whatever the circumstances are that are most pressing on our minds right now, Lord, will you remind us afresh? Will you renew us afresh? Will you pour out abundantly by your spirit hope? As we simply believe, Lord Jesus, you are our saviour. 
Your righteousness is sufficient for me. Your goodness has replaced my sinfulness. Your hope, your future is where I'm found. Lord, help us to believe and help us in our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.